You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. So um, if you were, who was at um, camp last week? Family camp was heaps of fun for our families um, that got to be a part of that. I super enjoyed myself. We did come home with somewhat feral children, but that's what you expect when you let them go to bed so late and, you know, get up so early and run wild for a couple of days with lots of other kids. But it was fun. It was a fun time. And so whether you were at combined service last week and heard Pastor Ryan or you were at family camp um, and heard Pastor Darren, but we started our new series um, on revolutionaries. And it's an awesome, it's an awesome series that we're in. I'm, I've loved just the research that I've been doing uh, just given me a new perspective on some things um, um, this week and, and the week before, sort of just preparing for today. Um, so last week the, um, we looked at Daniel and this week we're looking at Deborah. So we've got a few weeks of revolutionaries leading up and we'll finish with Jesus at Easter. Um, so it's going to be good. But um, I just want to, today we're looking at Deborah, and I just want to, like, say from the get-go that I haven't been rostered on to preach today because I'm a woman, and so the women have to talk about the women. It's not like a women's equality, we can do anything you can do message. So put that at the back of your mind. Don't get caught up with that because that's just, it's not where we're at. It's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. But we're, so we're going to be in Judges if you want to flick there and keep your, you know, little bookmark or, or something in there. We're in Judges for today. So I'm just going to, I'll give you a little bit of background so we're not, you know, reading chapters and chapters um, of where we're at, all right? A little bit of history on where we're at. And the Israelites had crossed over into the Promised Land. So they're there, but not entirely living in the promise at this point. They sort of keep going around the mulberry bush a little bit. You know, they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They end up subject to some evil king who treats them terribly. And they cry out to God for someone to deliver them and God brings them someone along. So we're picking it up here where Deborah is the one. She's the deliverer that comes along that God sends. So they've been under this cruel oppression of this King Jabin the king of Canaan, for 20 years, 20 years before they cry out. And um, Deborah is such an unlikely hero, such an unlikely hero. So we're just going to read, if you're in chapter 4, if you're there now, we're going to start at verse 4. It says, now Deborah. I like that right before her name's even mentioned, she kind of gets an introduction You know when you're talking about someone and you start with now, you know that there's a story coming. You know that when someone says, or someone says to you, now Beck, I go, wait for it. You know, don't you? You don't go, you know? If I said, oh, Kate, now Darren, she knows there's something, oh, there's going to be a story coming, right? I love how she gets this little introduction, just one word, now Deborah. Why don't we pray? 
God, I just pray that you would um, just put wisdom on my lips this morning, that you would reveal something that we haven't seen before out of this story of Deborah, Lord God, that you would just just raise an expectation within us this morning of what you want to do. Amen. So let's jump into it. Now, Deborah, all right, something's coming. Raise your expectations. She's a pretty awesome chick. A prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time, all right? She's a tad non-traditional, we'll say. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to hear to her to have their disputes decided. Now, later on, it tells you about Deborah, that she's the mother of Israel. And I'm like, you didn't need to tell me that because if she's deciding disputes for everybody all the time, she's absolutely the mother of Israel. That's, that's really what my days consist of. What's happening now? Yep, another dispute. No, I, he, he's been on there for longer than me, so I, I should be doing this. That's what a mother does. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in the Nap... I can't say this word, Naf... Someone say it for me. Thank you. And you can say it every time, all right? Because I... I bleh, bleh, bleh. And said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of... And Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honour will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. And thank you, Silla. And 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. And so a little background on Sisera. He's a guy, he's the commander of the army who pretty much just tortures them. Um, he's got, it says earlier in chapter four that he's got 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. 900 chariots. So a chariot would mean what, they're faster, they can take more men, they can carry more weapons. I, I put it in the same category if you're standing in a field trying to fight a tank with a stick, you know. Um, it's just going to mow straight over you, right? So this is the kind of army that they're going to go up against, that Deborah's going, come on, Barack, this is what you're going to do. You're going to lead these 10,000 guys. It would have looked like he was just going to lead them to slaughter, so, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. So, you look at Daniel from last week and you look at Deborah and you kind of go, they kind of don't seem like they fit together in the same category of revolutionaries. There's a, there's a fair difference there. One's almost kind of weak and peaceable, you might say. That's, that's how it might look. And the other is strong and aggressive. So what's the commonality between the two? They're both revolutionaries, but they both had this immovable conviction, that immovable conviction that was so strong and so deep that they were prepared to pay a price to follow God's lead, whatever that looked like. So whilst it seemed 
when you look at what they were up against. Absolutely absurd to go into battle against these, pe these people, I guess, monsters, you know, that they would have held no hope for success. The chariots... I was doing some reading on this. They had like one metre like swords that came out the side. So like no PG movie, right? <laughs> they just like cut through people as they go. Like just, I was just like flipping heck. It's like what movies I don't watch with Darren. <laughs> they would have just seemed completely invincible. The odds completely against them. He had Sisera, he's got every resource at hand. So I would say it's no wonder that Barak's response came with some conditions. In verse 8, Barak says to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. You know, lots of commentaries give him a bad rap. And it'd be easy to go, what a wuss. Like... Seriously, what sort of a man are you? But when you look at what he was up against, it's really not that surprising. He might look like he's weak or he's lacking faith, but I'd say that given the circumstances, he was such a faithful follower that every leader needs alongside them faithful followers, someone that can carry some of the practical weight of a visionary. And, you know, Deborah had seen, because of how she walked with God, what, where they were to go, what they were going to do. He saw the hand of God on Deborah and felt that security with her. He was, a, he was a great follower. His first response wasn't actually no. It was just a few conditions on that, you know. If you go with me, sure. So what do you need for a great revolution in your own life? What did Deborah have that we can learn from? We're not all called to go out and battle people, pick up swords or whatever. In fact, I'd say probably none of us are in this day and age called to that. But Deborah had this confidence that we can have, this confidence that was founded in God. She had this incredible faith in God. She was strong, she was confident, she was a wife, but she was also a leader. She was a prophet, meaning she spoke to God about people and people about God. She was a counsellor. The Bible said she was a mother in Israel. She was a risk taker. You know, I've had a situation, uh, circumstances have changed, I guess, for me recently. And kind of quickly um, as well, because God's just shifting some things for me. And I knew that this year was going to bring some change. God had said, you know, there's going to be some change this year. I just didn't really have any idea what that was going to look like. Um, and my natural bent is not to put myself out there for things. My mind is to sit back a little bit, a bit more reserved, not say, yep, yep, I'm the right one for that. I can do that, you know. I'm your girl. But I've had a situation change and really felt God on me and just the faith in me rose and the confidence in me rose because I can see something that could, could use a shift and can use a change in my life. Um, and so I've really found that when I, I resonated with Deborah, you know, and her confidence where she just 
she doesn't hold back. She just, God told her how to go about it and she just went, bang, here's what we're going to do. She's up against a wise, experienced army commander with all of his resources. But she's like, this is what God wants for us. This is where we're going. She was full of faith and that was because of her close connection and her intimacy with God, which is why, where her confidence was founded there. I love how she spoke the word of the Lord without holding anything back. She doesn't beat around the bush. She just calls Barak in and just, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go blah, 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 blah. There's no, I've been thinking. Um, you know, take this and test it, get some confirmation. It's like, this is the word of the Lord for you. She's awesome. What she realised was that the revolution wasn't hers, it was God's. Completely takes the pressure off. It's God's revolution, not her own. She was so secure in her role. So secure that in Hebrews 11, it says this. It's kind of like the Hall of Fame, you know, for people of faith way back. And it says in verse 1, Hebrews 11, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Then it lists all of these people. List, 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 list. And by faith they did this. By faith they did that. Blah, 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 blah. Down to verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak. He gets the mention. It doesn't say Gideon. Deborah, Samson, Jeff, Jeff, another one with a TH that I can't say probably. (laughs) About David and Samuel who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised. Deborah didn't go after the glorification. She gave that away. It was God's revolution, not hers. She had these Israelites that were living in the promised land but not in the promise but through her confidence, they gained what was promised. Incredible lady. Incredible revolutionary. You know, reading this account, you can't mistake that another thing that we can learn from her, not just in confidence, but is just real depth of courage. She was one courageous lady. She was a far cry from being a traditional female role at the time, but she knew it was time for her to stand up. She knew it was time to just, this is what's happening, and she went with it. And all throughout history, God has and continues to use the most unlikely people for a task, for a change. What I love about her more than just her courage is that she was an encourager. She saw things in people and she drew it out. She invited them to see what was inside of them and and called it out. That's what she did with Barak. 
Let God show you what he sees in others. Call it out of them. She saw willingness in him. He could have said, <laughs> no way, we are not doing that. Judges 4, verse 6 says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the, king, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. It's not that he wasn't strong enough to stand on his own two feet. In fact, at the end of the story, it talks about Jael, who's... It's not Deborah who kills Sisera. It's another woman, Jael. Chapter 5 tells the story like a bit more poetically. The title in your Bible, if it's the same as mine, says the Song of Deborah. And I often look at things like this in the Bible and, I mean, I love a musical like anybody. <laughs> but I always think of it like it's, it's a musical and it like makes me have a little... <laughs> like, really? It's like she was sitting up there singing? Was, was this really happening? Um... It's, it's like I should probably not have those things in my Bible to keep me focused. Um, I kind of was thinking when I'm reading through this again, because it's been a while since I've been in Judges, and um, I was like, why, why are we telling the story twice? Why does it need two chapters? Why do we have to say it and sing it? That's, that's the point of a musical. Who doesn't love a sound of music? How many of you wanted to have your dresses made out of curtains after you saw that? Oh, come on, you all did, you know it. I did. What it does is it paints a great picture and gives more detail in this one. It... It really pads out the story and just gives you a whole... It's worth keep reading, all right? Don't stop at chapter four and skip to chapter six, all right? It, it really tells a whole lot more of the story. And um, it just gives a better insight as to who else was around. Um, it's great. It's great. Um, and it shows the significance of others on the journey with them, with Deborah and Barak. It says in verse 15, the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, all right? So they're both there, everybody's there, sent under his command into the valley. And you go, well, who the heck is Issachar and why do I care about him? Why does he matter? And God reminded me about this guy because I read through the rest and, you know, I was like, yep, 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 yep. And it really stood out to me because I remember um, I remembered this name from other things that I'd read. So in 1 Chronicles 12, these are the number of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. Then it lists these groups, all of these groups of people that had, had been a part of this. And in verse 32, it says, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 
200 chiefs and blah, 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 blah. So these guys, they were men who understood the times. And that's a really big key for us today. Deborah and Barack had these guys on their team. They had these guys on their team that understood the times. And for you, you need to understand the times that you're in. Sometimes you need to just take a step back from what's whirling around. Life gets hectic and just simply reassess. Where you're headed, what's happening in your family, your business, your marriage, your work, your study, your kids, what's changed, what's working, what's not working. When you're in a tough spot, is it a season or is it a wilderness? So a season moves. A season changes, but a wilderness is stuck. Even in winter when it seems cold or drab or, you know, there's always a shift. Nobody wants to go out in winter. It's, it's not always very nice. You're happy to just stay at home. But even in winter, there's still activity underground. You might not see it, but God's still doing something. It might not appear on the outer that there's that same level that you have in spring and summer where, you know, I mean, not in our garden so much, but in other people's gardens, like Pete's garden, for example, heaps would be happening in spring, I'd imagine. In mine, mm, not so much. Lots of weeds, <laughs> yes, cultivating many. In a wilderness, there's nothing being cultivated. So a season, there's still that activity, there's still movement underground, even if you can't see it on the surface. But with a wilderness, the only thing that really is taking off can be bitterness, just choking things out. A wilderness is aimless, it's neglected, it's uninhabited, it's abandoned. Let me give you an example. Young children, that's a season. Sometimes it feels like a very long season, but it's a season. Not coming to church because it's too hard with young children can become a wilderness. You know, there's no faith growing in your family or for yourself. There's neglect happening there. Over the years, we've had lots, quite a lot, maybe not lots, quite a few ladies come after marriage breakdown and they've turned up in a pretty fragile state. It was so important for them, for each one of them to come and just sit and just rest. And it can look at that time for them like nothing's happening. But you know what? It's just a season. God's still doing things under the ground. And when they move through that season, when they're able to recognise it, it's just a season. It's just a quieter season for them to sit and soak and be ministered to. And the shift in that happens is when they realise the season's ending because there's movement and they're able to minister out of what God's been doing in that season. They're not stuck in a wilderness. He's just preparing them for the next season. Todd, do you guys want to come? Oh, you, I don't know if you're both coming. 
whatever you want to do is fine. Another example on that, it's a pretty personal one. Sometimes work is busy. Life is busy. I know, I completely get that. Work, family responsibilities, school, sports, extracurricular, meetings, financial things, ageing parents, just trying to make ends meet, trying to see who you need to see. Just keeping all the balls in the air can be pretty exhausting. But a busy season is one thing, but it's meant to change, it's meant to keep moving. It's not meant to be a time where your family gets neglected or your marriage gets neglected, whatever, whatever to whatever, you know? And I'd say, for me, I've been in a season that's gone too long. Too long, too busy for too long. Too much happening for too long. And I've really had to stop and just recognise the times we're in. You know, the princes of Issachar that were with Deborah and Barak, they knew the times, they understood the times they were living in. You've got to understand the times that you're in. So it might be just a season, and that's totally fine. God's still going to be doing things under the surface. But if you look and you kind of go, you know what, I actually think that this is a wilderness. Something's got to shift, and no one else can do it for you. For me, I've looked at some circumstances around my work and gone, you know what, I keep waiting for it to shift. I keep waiting for a change. But nobody can do it for me. Nobody can change that for me. Nobody can assess my diary and go, there's too much on here for your kids to see you outside of your kitchen. So easy for that to become a bit of a wilderness for our family because I take too much, too much on. And I guess it's a decision that nobody else could make for me. Darren couldn't make it for me. Something that I had to see for myself, to see the times that our family's in and not neglect that. You know, they won't be around forever, not because they're going to die, you know, but because they're growing up really fast. It's a really easy, easy thing to just let that keep going. You know, they say that your 40s are some of the busiest times because you're just trying to earn enough money to raise all these children. I hear it's really good when they all move out. As far as, you know, a few things, not everything. And then they come back. I'll have mine back. It'd be really easy for us to get stuck in a wilderness, for me to get stuck in that wilderness. And this week I've made some big changes and we'll be selling a business um, and moving into a way better stage for our family because we just had to recognise the times. Just had to recognise the times. So when you close your eyes this morning, what do you need for a revolution in your own life?
How are you going to get that confidence and that courage to make some hard decisions? Back at the beginning, I said, what was the commonality between Daniel and Deborah? Their ways of going about this revolution were so different. The commonality was that they knew the times. They knew what was needed. Daniel didn't need to go out to battle. But Deborah did. Know the times that you're in. Deborah knew that the time called for some decisive action for battle. She had a deep conviction about it. What conviction is deep within you that you're prepared to pay a price to see change? Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.